Welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together. I am your host, David Rosen. Ah, uh, man, we have got a fun show for you today. I have been waiting to do this one um, because this is a movie that is really close to my heart. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll get into that in a second. But uh, first, at the top of the show, I just wanted to remind you, if you've been listening, um, please make sure you subscribe to the show um, on Apple Podcasts, uh, Pocket Casts. Um, we are now on Spotify as well. So if you use Spotify, you can subscribe on there. Please make sure you subscribe to the show, share it, um, leave us a review, leave us some feedback. We definitely want to know what you're thinking of the show. And, uh, we really appreciate that. So many people have been out there listening. We, you know, so far it's been really great. We're getting a lot of great feedback, uh, we're getting a lot of downloads and, uh, we just want to keep on pushing it and making it bigger and better as we go. Um, also, this episode is posting um, where the next day is going to be an awesome meetup uh, here in Las Vegas at Rebar uh, for the podcast movement. Um, Rebar is where we did a live episode of our other podcast, Bird Road, uh, here on the All Points West Network. And uh, we, we had a great time doing that show there, and I helped the podcast movement get this uh, venue for this meetup, which is happening during the uh, NAB convention. Should be a really great fun time. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to uh, mingling with some other podcasters. Should be a great time. And if you're hearing this today, uh, that's coming up tomorrow, uh, uh, April 10th. So hope to see you there. But let's get on to today's show. Today we are going to be talking about best friends or is it best fiends nobody's really quite sure um this is the reunion of the rooms tommy wiseau and greg sestero 15 years after making the world's worst or best most ridiculously infectious and rewatchable movie the two have reteamed for a script this time written by sestero and directed by newcomer justin mcgregor it tells the story of a homeless guy who is befriended by a mortician and proceeds to try to sell his collection of gold teeth on the black market behind his back. That probably makes no sense to you, and honestly, what it's about doesn't matter. It's the reunion of Tommy Wiseau and Greg Sestero, and it's an insane ride and honestly much better than it has any right to be. You will hear us get into it Um First time co-host on the show today, who I'm hoping to do more episodes with in the future, Ryan Darty. Um, really happy to have him on the show and really happy to be talking about this movie. Let's just jump right in. All right, so we have got... A weird one today. Um, this is going to be quite different from some of the other episodes, but it should be a lot of fun. Uh, I have got my friend Ryan Darty here on the line with me. How you doing, Ryan? Oh, hi, David. Good to be here. <laughs> oh, hi. <laughs> um, we, we are going to be talking about... Uh, Wow, this is called Best Friends or Fiends, depending on how you look <laughs> at it, um, depending on who you ask. But this is the new movie from Tommy Wiseau, um, and uh, we are both big fans of The Room, and so I definitely thought you would be a great person to talk to about this one. And <laughs> I, I know you, you dig deep, like yeah, you, yeah. you, yeah, you, the, the Thomas Wiseau of, mythology. Yeah, you're <laughs> deep into it. Yeah, yeah and yeah. and. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, God, what can you even say to lead up to this movie? I mean, it's absolutely, absolutely bananas. It's it's so difficult to even um, talk about in terms of the way the show goes, where we talk inspirations. I mean, I've got some listed here. I know you got yeah. a couple, um, but you know, wow, is it just its own thing yeah. in, in a lot of ways, which is, I think, what anybody would expect it to be because uh, the room kind of is as well. Um, so, we, you know, with that said, um, I think it's fair that we kind of jump in. We're going to go right to the first inspiration, yeah. which is, of course, the room. And um, I think we'll talk a little bit about that before we move on to some of the other ones that we've uh, maybe yeah, come up with. Yeah. But I'll let I'll let you jump in first. What? <laughs> how, how do you think the room influenced uh, best friends? So well, for, oh, wait, wait, sure. let, let, let me interrupt you. Let me interrupt you. I'm sorry. Uh, best friends or best fiends? What do you call it? Um, I get thrown off because every time I take the R out, I assume it's something to do with like recording, like the R button for recording something. <laughs> so I actually thought there was going to be like, it was gonna be like a movie about a crazy filmmaker um, at first before the commercials. <laughs> um, so like w uh, along some of my friends, I'll just call it best fee friends, and it's even more awkward, <laughs> uh, but traditionally I call it best friends. Uh, if I'm feeling All sassy, right. I'll throw some air parentheses up in the middle of the word friends <laughs> nice nice <laughs> but uh yeah so, so the yeah. room is obviously um the biggest influence but no in a way i think we could cut this whole interview short if we just said that thomas wiseau in general every aspect of this movie is an homage or a parody or a tribute to something related to him either a movie he likes or a movie he's in or just him as a person um, sure. but obviously the room stuff is the most obvious stuff because that's what most of the people are coming into this knowing it as. Um, and actually when I saw this, uh, so, so I should clarify, I saw this maybe a month and a half ago. Um, I was probably a little drunker than I should have been watching it. So there's definitely like some plot points that will elude me, but the thing is, the plot points elude everyone anyway. Hey, uh, I saw it last night, and it's still some plot Still points figuring it out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but so I went with some friends who literally just watched the movie as an Easter egg hunt for the room mm -hmm. quotes and stuff. And you get that, right? Um, You get Tommy saying, oh, hi, so-and-so. You get them playing basketball instead of playing football. You get Tom saying... Uh, I don't think he does. He directly say you're tearing me apart, or does he say something very similar to it? Yeah, he says something really similar. Uh, yeah, he, he's you're driving me crazy, Mark. Yeah, yeah not yeah, Mark. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to, to Greg's character. character. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it's just kind of filled with like reshoots of those types of scenes. A lot of shots too. Yeah, a, a yeah. lot of shots are are directly uh, uh, copied from the room. Like uh, one of my favorite was, um, and I was surprised they even like went to this sure. one. But but the um, the scene on the rooftop where the camera keeps panning back and forth yeah. between them as they talk, yeah, that that happens in this, and I was like, I, I applauded <laughs> when that happened. Yeah. yeah, yeah, there's definitely a lot of people in my theater who were just there because we we had it as like a, a one night only screening um, yeah. as a pre release type of thing, and yeah, people. I, I did find, though, that my friends who watched the movie just for those kinds of references, they didn't really enjoy anything else about the movie. Like, it just became, like, what do we see from The Room? Oh, okay, that's it. Because it's not a fun, bad movie the way The Room is. It's just 
it's it's a movie um i i would actually like i'm gonna definitely have to see it again and make a final decision um and spoiler alert for the end of this episode when 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 we actually go into a full-on little mini review i'm probably gonna do spoilers throughout my other references too oh that's that's fine that's fine but but no i actually laughed a lot more than I expected to like whether it was the Easter egg moments sure. or just in general, the insanity of this movie. Yeah. Um, and I, I fully understand anyone who watches this and says, Oh, it's just the room light and it, you know, sure, it's nowhere sure. near as good. I, I totally get that, but I actually enjoyed it quite a bit. Oh, I, <laughs> like, I, I was laughing the whole time, it, but I enjoy watching bad movies that are not famous for being bad, you know? Right, like the people right. I went with that's used to like Rocky Horror Picture Show, The Room, stuff where it's not just that it's bad, it's like spectacle involved too. And then yes, whereas yes. like this is the kind of movie, um, and this is honestly the first thing I said to my friend when we got out, is if it didn't have Tommy and Greg in it, this would be a movie that you would see at 2 p.m. on a Sunday on Showtime Beyond. Where it would be yeah, like, it's absolutely. just a little bit of a creepy thriller ish like it kind of always hints that there's something more mysterious and sinister uh, but never actually does any of that and otherwise it's just a pretty schlocky movie exactly uh, i definitely enjoyed watching it though uh yeah. for sure <laughs> yeah to- tommy uh tommy in a lot of ways makes the movie i mean yeah. greg's great too um but tommy i mean i i know that the main reason obviously for this movie to exist is to try to make lightning strike twice sure and I would say almost every time he opens his mouth, it does. Yes. <laughs> like, you know, so this... he is so electric in this movie, and it's it's insane. You wouldn't expect it. So this movie taps into something that the room only accidentally tapped into, which is, right. and it comes up if you see things in interviews, too, where if you get him in the right mood, Tommy is not just funny to watch on camera. He's genuinely endearing. Um, (laughs) right. Like you almost feel like he's like your bashful little brother or something like that. And there's a few scenes in the room that it's like, you almost stop looking at Tommy as a mysterious person who probably killed someone in Poland in the twenties and stole their identity and moved here and sold his soul to a witch for eternal life. But you look at him like a little puppy instead. And you're like, Oh man, that's, that's Tommy. He just wants to play basketball with his friends and have a good time. And (laughs) it's, um, like I felt like this movie had a lot more of those moments of just like I'm enjoying watching Tommy try to connect to another person in some way. Um, and you yeah. can tell that on some level they genuinely are best friends, you know, off camera and stuff yeah. like that. And that really does come through. What would you credit the success of actually uh, bringing that personality out of Tommy again? Um, would, you, would you credit more to Greg Sestero's script or to uh, this director, Justin McGregor, who I was not familiar with before? I think he only really had yeah. one other movie. Um, um, huh. I have not seen Tommy in very much else. Like I've seen a few clips of him in Samurai Cop 2 and on Tim and Eric. Um, So I don't know, but I feel like in interviews recently, Tommy has been getting better and better at kind of rolling with the punches of how weird he is. And not just in like a try hard kind of way. Like it used to kind of seem like he was being obtuse for the sake of being obtuse. That's exactly the point I was getting at. Yeah, because in after the room got its popularity, yeah. uh, it, it never it always felt forced. Yes. You know, it, it never felt real. Um, yeah. 
in this, it feels real again. Yes. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. Which is, which is a beautiful thing. So there uh, have been two different, like I've seen two different kind of origin stories for this script. And one is that it was inspired by a road trip that Greg took with Tommy, where he was pretty sure that Tommy was going to kill him. Um, <laughs> and I think that's the road trip portrayed in the movie, the D disaster artist, which we'll talk about later. Um, mm -hmm. but also I've heard that he just kind of wrote it because he felt bad after the disaster artist was like first filmed that he was like, I just kind of want to do something with Tommy again. Yeah. Um, and I think it's really interesting. I will talk about some stuff I, later on that I talked about with Greg once, but you can definitely see parts of this movie are written from Greg to Tommy. And some of them are written as Greg imitating Tommy, if that makes sense, right? Like there's definitely parts of right. dialogue he deliberately wrote in a way that seems like it's how Tommy would have written it. And there's definitely yeah. scenes that just kind of seem like he's trying to give Tommy some wish fulfillment on camera. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and it's interesting how well they blend together for the most part. Yeah. I mean, there are, some, there are some stretches of the film that, I mean, I, you know, the, the major big spoiler alert from what I understand, that was like the big surprise for you, although I knew it, of course, already yeah. going into it last night. But the big surprise was that this is being split into two volumes. Oh, man. And <laughs> but are, did, did most of your theater know that going in or did people go nuts when that came up? I think most of them did. I actually heard someone like literally as they were walking out say, I didn't know it was going to be two parts. So there's at least that guy. Yeah. So most know. of my <laughs> theater didn't know. And I guess I probably found yeah. out because reviews weren't, weren't hiding that. So that was why I told most of my friends to go in totally blind. And since we caught yeah. it on the first run still, uh, most of my theater didn't know. And people were just, you know, like, what when that came up, because yeah. <laughs> everyone sits there and is like, how is this plot going to wrap itself up in the next <laughs> Like, yeah, the plot, it, it barely even gets going until an hour and a half in. It, it really <laughs> does. And that almost makes me wonder if part two is going to be the, quote, movie. And this was right. kind of the Greg and Tommy, you know? <laughs> well, that la the last 10, 15 minutes are so bizarre that, like, I can only imagine what part two is going to be. Oh, like. so that actually <laughs> is a really good segue into one of the influences uh, that I cited. Okay. If you uh, Do you have more stuff on the room you want to bring up in particular? I know no, I mostly... We we can okay. absolutely move on. I'm sure throughout this episode, we're going to be coming back and oh, forth. Oh, to yeah, room. for I'm, sure. It's, it's, uh, when talking about Tommy, it, it just has it's, to happen. It's, it's infectious. But um, so for those who haven't seen the movie, um, and th this spoiler will in no way impact your enjoyment of the movie. You should absolutely go see it. Tommy, please don't sue me. Um, so basically the last five, ten minutes, at some point it stops being the ending of part one and starts being a trailer for part two. And it's never made clear at what point that transition really happens. <laughs> and the end is largely kind of shot in the way that a trailer for a movie traditionally would be shot, where there's like a lot of out-of-context scenes that all look very cool, but part of it is very clearly not the trailer for part two. It's a bit of a, an, an epilogue bit for the movie, and it's not just timed by the part where at one point it goes like best friends volume one. And it comes up kind of the way like a question mark comes up after the end in old seventies movies where people are like, Oh God, there's a volume two. And then it keeps going. But that part still seems to be volume one. And then at some point it just swerves into this random collection of scenes, which is why I cite. Oh, and also I'm doubling down every influence I'm going to talk about in this episode. I have never seen. 
Uh, so I only know it from the pop culture thing, which is why I cite Twin Peaks for the last 10 minutes of okay. the episode. Because the movie just turns really bizarre and surreal and shows shots of, like, a dude in the woods and someone, like, ripping off someone else's mask while screaming. Is there someone on fire, or am I misremembering that? I, I think there was someone on fire. I think There's maybe, the like, cowboy, the cowboy, the cowboy is on looking fire off. or something. <laughs> It just feels very what people tell me Twin Peaks is like. E right. Well, hard to well I'll just I'll just say right now I'll I'll combine with your Twin Peaks and I had Mulholland Drive. Oh, okay, perfect. Yeah, um, David Lynch. Yeah. David Lynch in general. Yeah. So <laughs> absolutely, David Lynch. This is yeah. This is Tommy Wiseau by way of David Lynch. Um, but it, yeah, but I mean, genuinely the whole movie the is like a dream. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We. <laughs> well, the next movie might be another straightforward movie, and it's just that when you take the clips out of context, it looks David Lynchian. We really don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's impossible to know. I mean, the whole movie is very Lynchian, though. Yeah. Although, definitely those the, that last fifteen minutes that is pseudo trailer for the next one. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's so bizarre and so dreamlike or nightmare like, and yeah, it's like definitely has that Lynch feel to it. Yeah. And um, I <laughs> and it might not even be get, representative of what part two is actually like. I know that's what's so beautiful. <laughs> Part two literally might be another hour and a half of the same thing. They just happened to put that weird Imagine Dragons bassist music or whatever. Oh, can we talk about how all of the commercials for this movie really quick would be like, with music by Imagine Dragons, and like in small letters underneath it would be like apostrophe S is bassist or something like that. Yeah, right? I don't know if it was the bassist or whatever, but it it, it, was, it was definitely you know, like the word Imagine Dragons was much larger than the dude's to, name <laughs> to that point um and i swear this is not jealousy although i i wish i was sure. scoring a uh a uh, tommy Wiseau film um but the score was kind of my least favorite I part of the hated movie it. and like four and of my the, friends brought it up afterwards the reason why is because the score knows that the movie is bad yes it, it, you know the score it's a score for a bad movie and yeah. It, it I mean, it was, it's, it's pretty points. well done at times. Like there's some pieces of the score I like yeah. on their own, but they're doing it. He was doing it in a way that's like, oh, look how bad this yeah. is. It kind of reminded me a little bit of Napoleon Dynamite score. Okay. Um, yeah, and like, um, like a weird, like just weird music kind of way. Yeah, I definitely got still the the two p.m. on Showtime Beyond type of mm -hmm. vibe from that. I don't know why. It, yeah, it reminded me of a shittier version of the Primer soundtrack in some ways, which is weird. I don't know the that one. Primer soundtrack was recorded for like six dollars by the guy who directed the movie. Um, okay. I just remember the kind of like sparse ambient vibe that sometimes the soundtrack would tap into. And that was when I thought it was at its best. Um, yeah, absolutely. there was one song that I remember first sounded like a shitty version of Pink Floyd's money. Um, I don't <laughs> remember. It was probably at the scene while they were stacking. My Wait, okay. I don't know this. I'm going to embarrass myself musically right now when they're talking about the Rolling Stones and then the camera pulls out. That's not actually a Rolling Stones song, right? That's like a sound alike no. that's supposed to yeah, be a riff off a of like satisfaction alike. or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Because <laughs> I don't know a lot of Rolling Stones. And I was like, this sounds like if you had $7 for a movie budget and was like, what sounds Rolling Stones-ish? But it comes immediately after that scene where they're talking about how great the Rolling Stones are for like six minutes. And in any movie with a bigger budget, that's the part where like, 
can't get no satisfaction with chicken and the friends would road trip down. But in this case, it's like can't acquire happiness is playing in the background or something like that. <laughs> that would be a great song. <laughs> <laughs> I can't acquire happiness. Oh my god. Oh, god so movie. you know you know what? I'm gonna move on to another sure. inspiration great. here. And um this is actually a, a two-parter okay. uh, where I'm going to, I'm going to say two different ones uh, together because sure. um, they both have a very similar theme. Uh, and that would be a simple plan and Fargo. Um, is a simple are, plan another Coen brothers movie? Uh, it is uh, actually Sam Raimi. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. And it, it's, it's, it's about, um, you know, schemes for money gone wrong. Oh, okay. You know, cool, cool. It's, it's, yeah. And uh, yeah, terrible people. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, yeah, terrible people. And and that's, you know, that's definitely, I think, a place where this movie came from as far as uh, the story went. Yeah. Um, obviously, like we discussed, you know, the, the goal number one was, uh, you know, let's let's capture lightning in a bottle again. <laughs> goal number two, I think, was write something that we like. And I have a feeling that uh, that Greg Sestero just likes these kind of movies. Sure. Kind of like. You know these meaty mysteries, you know, with 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 money and murder and morality yeah, and all that yeah. kind of stuff, you know, and and so I think that that is where he was going with the actual script, yeah. Um, and for the most part, despite the fact that it's in, you know, in the middle of this <laughs> insane movie, I think it it is, you know, if it was reeled in and made more normal with regular actors and everything, and uh, you know all that yeah. stuff, it could have actually been in. A pretty uh a pretty interesting mystery. Yeah, you know, I never really clued in on like the film noir aspects of it, but like that's uh -huh. definitely something where I feel like, yeah, in a more competent um hand. And that's not necessarily also even a knock against the people who actually made this film. Like at some on some level, some people knew what they were getting into and turned into the skid. On some level, uh people did genuinely good work that is just detracted by the context of the film in general. But like, yeah, right. if you like shot this a little straighter with some other people or whatever you would absolutely i could see how you would get something kind of fargo-esque and a bit of a, an intrigue in the weird characters and stuff <laughs> who would have thought that's where we'd end up back in uh, 2004 when whenever the room came out um so i actually in in the and another taking that another direction, the only other thing that really jumped out at me is I got very hardcore Hitchcock vibes for the final oh, yeah. 10, 50, like uh, Vertigo in particular, obviously, which is another movie I've never seen. Um, mm -hmm. But I know they parodied the scene where the person's falling or getting Vertigo and thinking of falling yeah. or something. Um, <laughs> and there is some falling in this film, which looks very Vertigo-y. Um, and it's, it's well documented that Greg and Tommy do both enjoy, um, you know, the cinematic classics and things like that. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. They're big, they're big fans of the classics. Yeah. yeah. For they, sure. they, they got, they got to, uh, they, they got to cut in a few, uh, scenes of some oh. classic and like having the, uh, the headshots of the actors and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know? Yeah. I'll definitely yeah. come back to more of that with, um, disaster artist stuff for sure. But that was sure. the, the one other thing was the conclusion felt very Hitchcockian for me. And I think actually a big part of that was because so much of the plot was left unresolved for part two that I mistook that for there being greater stakes and intrigue than there actually was. Because I was like, oh, man, how are they going to wrap this all up in the next 
six minutes. It's a crazy twist. And also a dude is arguing and getting thrown off a cliff, but maybe it's not the person who you think it is, blah, blah, blah. And then the movie just ends. And it was like, oh, that was how they handled that by not handling it. Instead, I had thought like maybe they were going to do some genius swerve or something. And that would have been like how Hitchcock would have filmed that movie. I'm shitting on them too much. This movie was not filmed as a two-parter. It was filmed as a one-parter, and it came out too long. So, like, I, yeah. I feel like I shouldn't necessarily disparage them too much for that. But I will. Hey, by the but way, by the way, before before we move on to the next one, sure. um, did they show uh, all the behind-the-scenes stuff after when you no, saw it? No, I, I haven't seen any behind-the-scenes for this, except for oh. the fact that I know some of the scenes from the commercials were not in the final film. That's okay. Hard. Yeah, no, they they showed a whole little making of uh, thing. It was about like maybe five minutes long. They called it the Red Bull Diaries. Oh, okay. And it was just him on set drinking Red Bull and like just you know messing around. Mine and stuff. did and still it, have a warning that it was a working cut, so you may have oh, seen okay. something slightly slightly different from me, but it seemed yeah, pretty yeah. finished. And then after they showed that. They showed uh, Scary Love, which it turns out is just a music video. Um, the thing that we thought we were getting another new Tommy Wiseau movie this year. Was that the like? Um, uh, was that the like cyber thriller one, or is that? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah, and it it was it was beautiful actually. It was like really <laughs> great. It's a great song by the Neighborhood, and uh, and the video is actually really cool. It's like a cross between like Terminator and like I I don't know. It was it was weird and <laughs> I'll crazy check it out. and. Yeah. and yeah, it was it was great, and and uh, and then after that they showed making of that. Sure, <laughs> so, that's yeah, a, so yeah. it was it was content galore. That's I was a good seat a long time. They were they were originally going to show ours for a while, and then there was like some stuff that happened, and I think it was licensing issues. So kind of for us, the spectacle was just getting to see it early. None of the associated <laughs> stuff. Actually, well, I, I take that back. They followed it entirely and previewed it entirely with videos themed around the word friend. Because clearly the best thing to do right before watch Best Friends starring Tommy Wiseau and Greg Sestero is a sing-along to Biz Marquis' Just a Friend. So that, that was the mindset sense. I walked into that theater with. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. So we should so, uh, probably talk about the disaster artist now and the That's what I was going to say. It's, it, yeah. it's, it's a good uh, from behind the scenes yeah. and all that and jumping into uh, the movie about the making of The Room. <laughs> Absolutely. I think it's a good time. So, yeah, so with uh, The Disaster Artist, there's the book and the movie. And one thing I really liked is that uh, this movie had a lot of the things from the book that the movie adaptation of The Disaster Artist didn't have. Uh, one of my favorite things is there's one scene, maybe two, uh, where they're watching Sunset Boulevard, which is another movie I haven't seen. But they quote Sunset Boulevard at the uh, start of every other chapter in The Disaster Artist. And I believe there's a part where Greg talks about how it's important to him. But the general concept of like Hollywood kind of making everyone crazy is not a plot right. in the film, but it's still referenced in the film, partially just by the actors and the situations that led up to it, partially by the um, face masks that are uh, look like famous people. And I think they, they also have a James Dean one for that, right? I, I think so. I yeah. think so. And then, yeah, because in The Disaster Artist, you know, so Tommy's You Are Tearing Me Apart comes from uh, Rebel Without a Cause, James Dean, another movie I haven't yeah. seen. And they do explain that in The Disaster Artist movie. But I believe they also have a few more references here because um, 
James Dean was really like Tommy's number one idol for acting and stuff like that. And he adored the guy and Greg and him together um, would just talk about this guy all the time. So them kind of putting in more references to that, I felt was really a nice way to, uh, that's kind of an example of a scene written for Tommy, like I was talking about earlier, where it seems like it's a nod to their friendship that you wouldn't know about if you hadn't seen uh, the disaster artist or read the disaster artist and same with the sunset Boulevard and stuff like that. Sure. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. Um, I, when the disaster artist came out, there was some review, uh, that I read that mentioned that the movie, it's like, it's like the behind the scenes of, of the room. It's also like a prequel to the room and the sequel to the room. <laughs> and I, I think you could say a lot of the same thing about, uh, best friend definitely it, it's it's sort of a sequel it's a prequel it's uh in the universe of it's, <laughs> it's, you know uh, uh so it's, it's a lot universe. of things fingers crossed yeah i know oh. like we could only we could only dream <laughs> <laughs> um so so one thing i wanted to tie in with this actually is uh, a bit of a, a story i have related to greg sestero which i think it made me appreciate a lot of the aspects of this movie a lot more than a lot of people did so uh, they show the room in Seattle. Uh, I will throw in a quick plug for Central Cinema, the greatest theater, theater in Seattle. Uh, they'll show it every month. And, you know, they usually get different cast members there. And Greg's been a few times, not always to show the room, but uh, he was there for Dude Bro Party Massacre 3, which is another movie he was in. Um, he's come and done, like, stage readings of the show before. And then afterwards, nice. they always kind of show the movie. So I've seen the movie so many times at this point that I had zero interest in um, actually watching it again. I had gone to see like Greg do the stage performance with some local comedians. Uh, and I was pretty drunk by that point too. So I was like, yeah, I'm just going to get some air. So I walked out and Greg's just chilling in the lobby because, you know, he doesn't want to fucking watch the room. <laughs> like he of all people knows that. So I hung out with him for probably, I don't know, a half hour, 40 minutes or so. Um, and we were just kind of sitting around shooting the shit. And um, I kind of talked to him about like things I've heard him say in interviews and stuff like that. And, and I called him out on the fact that, like, when he has fan interactions, sometimes he kind of tends to come across as kind of fake and patronizing, um, which is why I've always kind of had, like, a bit of a sour taste in my mouth with Greg. And watching The Disaster Artist, or reading The Disaster Artist, as funny as it was, kind of gave me more of that, because I kind of felt like he was biting the hand that feeds a bit too much. Like, he was trying right, to have right. his cake and eat it, too, and act yeah. like he was too good to be in the room when the fact is also that he's not, you know, it's, it's not like he was a great actor and the movie was terrible except for him right, or something right. like that, right? And yeah, in yeah. the past, he kind of steered into the, like, well, I wasn't supposed to be the actor, and then it kind of just turns into the, I don't care about this at all. So I was kind of talking with him about things like that, and, and I asked him a question that I don't think he's really gotten before, um, and I said, you know, based on where you are now, like, you, you are successful, objectively, you are famous, objectively, but everything you do from now on, and this was well before Best Friends was announced, uh, everything right. you do from now on, I think this is even before Disaster Artist the movie was announced, um, is going to be tied back to The yeah. Room and Tommy, and like you're probably not ever going to be escape this. Escape this. Um, I know you wanted to be an actor-actor, though. Are you happy with this? Would you have rather not been in the room and still be an out-of-work actor doing plays for $10 a night in San Francisco? Um, or, which, well, you know, which is nothing. Like, I have plenty of friends who are in 
who are actors, right? That's just a thing is not many people get famous and they become waiters and just do plays at night. And that's probably where he would still be. Or now he's famous, but it's always going to have some level of irony to it. Uh, So that question bummed him out. (laughs) Um, And he thought about it for a little bit. And he said, if this was only still just about the room, I think I would be pretty disappointed. Um, but, and, and, and it almost kind of seemed like, like I was kind of almost implying the same sort of things like uh, people who were on Star Trek, who now just go to conventions all the time as right. the person from Star Trek. And he, because he, he, basically he said that the book was kind of what justified it for him. Because suddenly he was still famous for the room, but it was also kind of on his terms, not just uh-huh. on Tom's terms anymore. Um, and I thought that was a really interesting answer. And I definitely felt like I was seeing a lot of that in this movie, that it was still a movie that was capturing the stuff from the room that made it successful, but it was also Greg putting his own level of ownership on it and trying to kind of, um, make it so he's not just as passive. And I don't really know if that colored my, um, my, my enjoyment of the movie at all, but I, I definitely was thinking of that a lot as I was watching it. There were a lot of scenes in the movie that felt that way, that this was like proof that what he was saying was very much true and that this was kind of another way for him to combat that in the same way that the disaster artist was, right? Like if he really wanted to put it behind him, he would just start doing stuff completely unrelated to the room, right, like Dude right. Bro Party Massacre 3. Even that, he did it as a favor because the guys who directed it were the ones who got the room famous in the first place. And, all <laughs> still, and that's actually, I believe, now, that was the first time I met him was at a Dude Bro Party 3 um, screening. But yeah, that's still tied back to the room in some way. And now he's got this movie, which I don't know if it's going to be successful. I don't know how much it costs to begin with. It might be one of those movies that's like pretty much automatically successful. But right, right. Um, yeah, that's a really interesting story. Yeah. And I I wonder now with with the disaster artist, the movie uh, yeah. in the rear view and we're we've now got best friends out, best friends two on the horizon. Uh, you know, I wonder if he still would answer that question roughly the same way, because I mean, clearly the room is still a major part of his life. Yeah, yeah. No, no, ma- no matter how you slice it. Yeah, he's doing it more on his own terms at this point, uh, which is maybe more so than he was at that point. Sure. But um, yeah, I, I wonder how he feels about it now. I, I would have to think that he's got to see it, you know, as a positive. Sure, sure. Uh, you, you know, because, yeah, I mean, it's a crazy uh, route to success, but well, it's, he's yeah. doing well and and sur- you know surviving on this lifestyle and this uh, career path. Yeah, um, he's got to at least be pretty thankful. Oh yeah, I, I'm sure once he's and I don't even want to throw around the term victim to describe someone who is still making a living off of a movie they made. Um, <laughs> well, also I'm sure he wasn't necessarily making bank before the disaster artist came out um tommy tommy was making bank off of licensing uh i i'm sure greg was not getting cut of that pie because every time i see greg he is definitely like got a merch booth with him which i don't fault him for apparently that's like that's what he does right tommy when he goes to screenings for the room 
he's selling himself and he's selling the room merchandise. Sure. Greg, when he sure. goes to the screenings of the rooms, he tries to parlay into, hey, can you do you want to buy a copy of the original script? If you don't have that, by the way, there's um he sells a copy of the script when it was originally like a play. Pretty fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, I've, I've read little excerpts. OK, from it. I. I should get a copy. That's of that. what they. I think I've got a signed copy of that from when he did a reenactment of that with some local comedians. Um, <laughs> and that that was good. He does. He, you know, he does a fantastic Tommy impression. That. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I I listened to the audio. Uh, the audible um audio book. Yeah, of yeah. Disaster artist. His Tommy is amazing. It, it's it's really good. I I I think he had already recorded the audio book, but like I've I'd seen him do the impression live before because he plays Tommy during the stage read, readings. <laughs> and that's pretty fun because you get to essentially see him read the entire script. Oh, that's <laughs> but yeah, he was, <laughs> I, you know, I, I think now that he's able to get some leverage on it, I would imagine he's, I don't want to say like made peace with it a lot more, but it probably fulfilled what his caveat was when I asked if he was happy about it. So that's awesome. Yeah, you know, that's good. That's awesome. And that's, I'm, I was very glad. I, I I hadn't even remembered about that story until I was like, well, what can I talk about on this episode? And I was like, wait, I've definitely given Greg Sestero an existential crisis before. That's a great story to talk about. Um, yeah. And the worst case scenario, th- this is true, but maybe I'm misremembering part of it or whatever, is like, maybe if I'm wrong, Greg comes on this podcast next for episode two and clears everything up because you oh, know, that would be beautiful. Millions of listeners here. And I'm sure one of them will tell Greg, and Greg will be like, that didn't actually happen like that. You came up to me and we're like, oh, happy? <laughs> and, you were, and I was like, yeah, man, sure. It's good that I get to do stuff besides the room. And then I just sat there drooling next to him for 45 minutes. <laughs> no, I was not. I was I'm, sure, I'm sure that's how it went. I was not that drunk. I, def- I was definitely like... You know, like once you've had like a shot or two and it's not really hitting you, but you're like, I feel like I've got an excuse to be a little bolder now. And my response to that was to be like, hey, yo, Greg, what's up? And then hang with him for a while. <laughs> and then also I, I tore him apart for not smiling in photos with fans because he doesn't. Um, so finally, when we took a photo, I was, you know, very much like, all right, you better fucking smile for this after this whole conversation we had. And then some when, girl... Greg, when Greg finally smiles, it's kind of like a little ray of sunshine. Yeah, just yeah. cracking through, you know? But th- my favorite part about it was, was there was this girl who I assumed was with him at first because she was, like, just chilling on, the, like, around the table. This is going to be the part that maybe I'll get him in trouble if he's married or something like that. So, Miss Sestero, if you exist, I don't know. <laughs> this happened before you guys met. But there was some girl who was there who at first I assumed was with him and then when he was like, oh, yo, here, can you take the photo? And she clearly had no idea how to take the photo. It was like fumbling around. And then with the interactions between the two of them, I realized that he definitely didn't know her. And this was just a groupie. So like <laughs> if the question was, is Greg Sestero getting laid because of the room and not just because he's a male model? The answer is yes. I saw it happen. God, or at least I saw God bless him. girl try to. But I <laughs> shit you not, as he keeps struggling... We're holding this smile for like a solid 45 seconds at first where she's just like, um, 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 and then it finally starts and she, she gets my like camera ready and she's taking the pictures or whatever. And we're still smiling and we're both getting antsy and he leans into me and he goes, this is why I don't fucking smile for photos. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) I guess just everyone is so bad with their phones. Uh, I have no idea if he brought the woman back. I'm sure she didn't. It definitely just seemed like kind of like she was that kind of girl. 
floating around the table with him where at first I thought it was like his like manager or girlfriend or something and then very quickly realized she was just thirsty for the Greg. Can you imagine being his wife and having to deal with Tommy? Oh my <laughs> god. Jesus. <laughs> I don't weird. know. Definitely oh, when you put this podcast up, do some research into uh if Greg is married or not and put that in the addendum. Uh I'll take a look. cover yeah. cover my ass legally. Because the last thing I need, I don't know if you've ever seen like Tommy sue someone before, but it is devastating. He's like sued documentaries on the room out of existence before and stuff like that. So the last thing I want to do is get on either of their bad side, especially because I quite enjoyed my talk with Greg and I've still never met Tommy and would like to have a similar talk with him and try to figure I out. Have what he's met, I, I have met Tommy. Almost, um, almost everyone I know I, has met Tommy besides me. I know. I'll talk about that in the post show. Oh, fantastic. Um, (laughs) So do you have any other uh, film inspirations you wanted to mention? Um, No, you know, I I feel like, again, at the end of the day, every reference comes down to being through Tommy still. Yeah. Um, Every scene. uh, Definitely, uh, you know, a shout out to the actress who was in that, who she almost kind of stood out by her refusal to not, turn into the skid about this type of movie like i don't want to necessarily put a blanket she was acting a lot better than tommy and greg were but she was definitely acting in a very different way right right she was an actress yeah yeah serious actress and it almost came across like like she was being a femme fatale entirely by coincidence like the script was clearly (laughs) making her a femme fatale and she was clearly acting like that's, this that's the name of your autobiography isn't yeah, it accidentally <laughs> femme fatale <laughs> but uh yeah so and it, but it seemed like greg and tommy's character didn't really acknowledge that or play off of it um okay. and of course the ultimate there's a there's a oh uh, there's a really uncomfortable moment in the uh behind the scenes that they showed after the movie <sighs> of him just totally harassing her by the way of tommy <laughs> yeah harassing her but why girl so, like compliment uh, <laughs> no i mean otherwise besides that you know i uh, always a shout out to paul Shear appearing in that movie i hope that made you happy oh yeah um, oh yeah absolutely that, that was the thing that i meant i i think i mentioned after i saw it that it was like one thing you were going to be very happy about i hope and it was it was paul Shear's random cameo <laughs> in there um so i'm gonna mention one more movie sure. um and this one actually ties into the disaster artist the book okay um and that is the talented Mr. Ripley. Yes, yes, which, yes, yes. How did I forget we, that? We, we know if he if you read the book that uh, that Tommy basically was inspired to make the room after seeing the talented Mr. Ripley. And I think there's actually a lot of that in this script, and I'm it sure really Greg did is. that on purpose. I totally yeah, um, because I haven't seen the talented Mr. Ripley either. So oh, that's a that's a great movie. You should see that. I mean, a lot of the ones you brought up that you haven't seen are great movies, but yeah, you should definitely see talented Mr. Ripley. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, no, just uh, ha- this friend who isn't who he's telling him he is is definitely like the main uh, theme here in this movie and best friends. Um, and best and friends too is... has an undercurrent of like stolen identity that's probably going to be more relevant in the next one too. Oh, then there you go. Yeah. There you go. Which, by the way, we're, I'm going to have you back for best friends. Oh, of course. Yeah, I'll try. I'll try to <laughs> get Greg on board. I'll just keep oh, seeing room screenings every month until he shows up again. 
And then oh my god. Six shots of tequila later, Greg's on the podcast. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Dave, quick, quick, get on the yeah. thing. On the you thing. know that I'll, if I call I'll FaceTime you, we'll have like the first visual episode. And it's literally yes. just me going, ah, and Greg is like glaring at me. And then putting oh, it together man. becomes the best podcast in the world. <laughs> So now, now what I do on this show sure. is a thing called the finished puzzle. Yeah. And this is where I just list off all of the things so we get them all in one place. So I, we have, of course, the room and the disaster artist. Of course. We also have a simple plan, Fargo, Talented Mr. Ripley, uh, Twin Peaks, Mulholland Drive, uh, the films of Alfred Hitchcock, and I think that's it. Yeah, yeah, everything else just came through the disaster artist. You put those pieces together, give them to a terrifying madman of unidentified Eastern European (laughs) identification who is somewhere between the ages of 26 and 952 who may or may not have sold his soul to the devil, and you get Best Friends Volume 1. And yes, I did my sassy air parentheses as I said that. All right, I'm glad you did, too. I I, I came through for sure. Oh yeah, you can. You can so, the microphone picks up the swish. <laughs> so um, to to wrap it all up, uh, I think it's pretty clear we both actually did like this I, movie. I enjoyed it us, significantly right? more than almost anyone else I saw it with. But there's definitely yeah. you got to know what you're getting into. I don't recommend oh, treating it just as um, a the room follow up or whatever. You have to understand that it's definitely a bad movie in a much more um generic kind of way but that it's still it's got a ton of stuff to be enjoyed if you know what to look for absolutely exactly exactly yeah when like i said whenever tommy opens his mouth it the film absolutely lights up and the audience uh in in response lights up as well Oh, for sure um when, when he's not talking or he's not on screen the results are a little more mixed than the room were um yeah, some, of the, some of the smaller <laughs> supporting characters aren't aren't as great like some of the sporting characters in the room were like almost as good as tommy they're sure yeah. as, but uh they're, they're not quite so much here in this one but no. there there are some great moments outside of tommy as well you know you just gotta you gotta watch for them and just know that you're getting into something that's a little different from the room a little darker a little weirder yeah, if I had to summarize the different scenes of the movie, like the different parts of the movie, one would be any scene where all the characters are outside near a road at nighttime. Um, and that's that's the scenes where like the guy is on a Greg is on a date with his girlfriend, or they're like dropping off money in exchange for stuff. And all those scenes feel very much like low budget horror thriller kind of film. Yeah. Uh, and I yeah. would say those are probably the worst scenes in the movie from a technical angle, for sure. Um, Right. You can still hear the static and the cars. You can hear the microphones getting cut on and off unsubtly to prevent backup. Then you've got this. Some some terrible sound mixing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The sound mixing is that actually you may have. It may have been better for you than for me, because I would believe that would be the one thing. That's true. They updated it since the last time you saw it. Yeah. Yeah, Now. Now was was the score was all of uh, Dan Platzman. I think his name is with all of his score. Um, I think so. I'm, pr- I'm pretty okay. sure it wasn't a temp score. It was pretty overpowering at some points where yes. it was like, yeah, it was hard to really hear the dialogue. It should have been so ambient. Music. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the, the another chunk of the scenes I would say is like 
Greg and Tommy playing basketball, Greg and Tommy having Chinese food, Greg and Tommy goofing off in, I think it was Vegas they went to, maybe it was Reno. Um, yeah, it's Vegas. Yeah. Um, those scenes are just the two dudes having fun. And you see something like how in the original room, Tommy wrote himself as Mr. Perfect and everyone else was an asshole to him. Yeah. And Greg, when he wrote it, Tommy's character is still very much Mr. Perfect who happens to be weird um barring yeah. an implied necrophilia subplot <laughs> which didn't really get explored but otherwise like the whole movie is greg begging for a chance and then tommy saying yeah you know what sure i'll take a big chance on you and then greg fucking him over um <laughs> like it's all still people fucking over this and, th and then greg's girlfriend out of nowhere is like yo you should fuck over this guy and steal a bunch of his money and it's like which is basically the room yeah, like right, yeah like so it's still very much like tommy is this great guy but in this case his weirdness is a bit more part of the character than a consequence of tommy and i think that actually helps the plot a lot and then the third chunk you get is the things that are just room references and bizarre and that overlaps with some of the um some of the stuff but like once it gets weird those tend to be the parts where the plot actually moves forward because the weird yeah. parts are suddenly like you know they're taking stuff from corpses they're trying to sell things from corpses they're plotting murders for no reason um and and when it's weird is when the plot tends to move forward um, and it yeah, does yeah. definitely just at some points come across another Coen Brothers film, almost like a Raising Arizona type of just like, we've got this couple who's going to do a really bad thing and somehow you're supposed to root for them yeah. because they're likable, but they're not. Add a little and Raising Arizona in that way. <laughs> That's like the only like Coen Brothers movie I've seen. So, and I know that has a couple <laughs> committing a crime. I, I, I I'm going to start a whole new podcast just dedicated to making you watch movies. Well, I know I, I, I just realized <laughs> that I made a throwaway reference to Terrible People, which is also a movie I haven't seen. <laughs> and yet the way I made it a throwaway reference, it's strongly implied that I was like very familiar with that film. <laughs> but it's still relevant. So it I just Wikipedia Amazing. movies. I don't watch them. Nice, That's nice. How it always works. That's awesome. <laughs> <sighs> this movie. Right on. That I, I think that about does it. So um I God, this movie, wow. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's you should you should it definitely crazy, go see it but... if you can. Uh, preferably in a theater with people who are in the definitely. mood to see it. It definitely still does benefit from some level. I had friends who were heckling and they didn't really understand that you shouldn't keep using the room heckles the entire time. Um, but also in general, like our theater was just not super heckleful. Um, so those yeah. kind of fell flat in my opinion, but otherwise like having people there to at least laugh at the references, it helps a lot. Sure. Absolutely. So, uh, Ryan, thanks for doing this. The first time I had you on the show, I'm hoping Absolutely. to have you on again in the future. Absolutely. And, uh, you have anything, uh, coming up you want to plug uh, or anything like that? Coming soon to all points West. CB Darty and David Rosen bringing you a new podcast called Everything's Cloverfield. Every single episode, we take a new piece of media and analyze how it fits into the Cloverfield cinematic universe. Coming up next, next week, we talk about Jaws, Steven Spielberg, big inspiration for J.J. Abrams. Could he have inspired him by making what may be the first Cloverfield? Tune in next week to Everything's Cloverfield with CB Darty and fucking oh, i'm still so good for a minute that was good that was CB good Daddy that was great and david rosen <laughs> see you next week folks and then this is where the clubber you know song would play <laughs>
Yeah, right. I don't know why I picked Jaws. Like, I said Jaws, and then immediately the back of my head was like, how the fuck are you going to tie Jaws in the Cloverfield? And then I was like, wait. You know what? Eight we can, if anyone could do it, we can do of it. Of E.T., and therefore, J.J. <laughs> Steve inspired J.J. Hey, I'm so serious. I would try that podcast. Oh my I, god, it, just, it would be so much fun. Oh man, that would be fantastic. Maybe we'll maybe we'll talk about that. We'll do the. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with you talking you two to me, which is Scott Ackerman, uh-huh. and Great uh, show. and then they all, just always starts with let's talk about you two, and then just goes into a tangent. Uh, I think uh-huh. everything Cloverfield could absolutely be that, and then we would just I'm go so nuts. down for this. <laughs> I'm so down for this. We got to do it. We got to do it. <laughs> And that's how it started was, I want to be clear to anyone listening, that may have sounded very professional and Dave is very, very receptive to it right here. This is entirely just a reference to him and I are Cloverfield heads, which is not a real term, but I think it gets the that's, point across pretty well. That's what Ryan thinks. I'm sitting here, I'm making notes. I want to start. Oh man, show. dude, if we could make that podcast famous <laughs> enough, JJ would be on this show too. And he could do it oh, yeah. together for one of his own movies. Maybe he could fucking explain the plot to some of them. <laughs> exclusive oh, finally explains lost alright it's been a All fantastic right, thanks, being on here take yeah, care puzzlers absolutely. or I don't know what the hell your fans are called <laughs> puzzlers that's a good uh, hashtag puzzlers. Puzzlers. let's start it let's hashtag start it puzzlers right hashtag piecing it together hashtag no filter insane movie what a you know this movie i saw it now uh almost two weeks ago uh it's taken us a little while to get this episode up um and it's still with me i'm still thinking about it all the time who would have thought that uh the next time it was so movie would be something that would stay with you <laughs> something that would kind of haunt your dreams a little bit i don't know but uh it was it was a, it was a great talk with Ryan, um, and also if you missed it, I posted a mini episode on April Fool's Day that included a little snippet of this as well as my personal Tommy Wiseau story. So if you skipped the mini episode, I suggest you go back and take a listen to it. And um, you know, also a little quick story uh, when I posted that. Um, Tommy himself shared it on Twitter actually twice. It got a ton of traction. <laughs> it got a lot of likes and a lot of retweets because of him. So Tommy, thank you. Uh, you definitely helped the show and hopefully, uh, hopefully you'll check this episode out and hopefully we can make a little dream come true and get either Tommy or Greg on this show. Um, I would love to talk to one of you about, um, uh, these inspirations that we suggested on the episode and see what you think of them. Uh, see if we're right. See if we're wrong. You know, it, I'm ready. Just let me know if you want to talk. I am totally down. Uh, maybe when best friends volume two comes out next month, I I'm hoping. So anyway, thanks again for listening to another episode of piecing it together. Um, as always, make sure you subscribe and whatever podcast app it is you listen in. And if you could leave a rating and review on iTunes, um, come like us on uh, Facebook, Piecing It Together Podcast. Uh, follow us on Twitter or Instagram at PiecingPod. 
Um, and you know, I think that's about it. We got uh, another episode coming up later this week and we got two more coming up the following week. We're just going to keep putting these episodes out. Uh, we're going to keep it moving fast for a little while. Um, and like I said, we'll eventually settle into a regular schedule, but for now, I think, uh, twice a week is pretty good, huh? And I'll probably have a couple of little mini episode things that'll be thrown in there as well throughout. Um, and I forgot to put my phone on silent. Bad me. Anyway, thanks for listening. And I'm going to leave you again with a, uh, uh, another song of mine, uh, because as you know, we are in the process of promoting my next album, A Different Kind of Dream. Thanks for listening.